Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello Australia, welcome to My Millennial Money. Hope you're doing well. Hey, this is a podcast to encourage you to do better with your money. This is a podcast to inspire you to maybe spend less and invest more. This is a podcast to make you think, what can I do for the me of tomorrow today? Because we're all going to get to tomorrow, so we need to understand that we are living in our own past. And what can we change today to make the us of tomorrow so pumped that we took some effort. On today's episode of My Millennial Money, we've got a listener. He's a guest of the podcast. He's been on before. He's going to co-host this episode with me. It's Neil Alexander, otherwise known as the Lego Man in our Facebook group. G'day, Neil. Thanks, Glenn. It's great to be back on the show. Absolutely, Neil. Uh, if you are interested in hearing more of Neil's story, you can go back and listen to episode 445B. Uh, it was from November last year, and we had such great feedback from Neil's story and more around him and his Gen X story, because he's a little bit older than our average bear, but welcome nevertheless. Now, we can't do this podcast without Tao. That's T-A-L. If things go wrong with your health, Tao's job is to make things simpler for you in any way they can. From covering your children's education to keeping up the mortgage repayments for the family home or any rehabilitation to get back on track sooner. Search TAL online, that's T-A-L, or speak to your financial advisor about how TAL can help you and your family. Remember, if you need a financial advisor, make sure you head over to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and I'd love to introduce you to somebody to help with any of your life insurance needs. All right, Neil, you ready to answer some questions? I am, Glenn. Let's get at it. Okay, this is an interesting one. Alyssa Lauren says, how should I choose health insurance? So, Neil, you've got a family, you've got three young kids, you've got a wife, and you've got private health insurance. How did you go about choosing the right cover for your family? So, I arrived in Australia six years ago and had to choose health insurance pretty quickly. I soon found out that you have just a few months grace to get private health insurance, otherwise you get taxed more, essentially. So... I went through a government website, it's privatehealth.gov.au, and it's a comparison website, but it's run by the Australian government. I think that's a much better option than some of the private finder websites that try to help you, because they don't cover all of the policies, and so the Australian government one does, so it's privatehealth.gov.au, and I selected the right kind of policy for me and my family, there's some different criteria you can choose. What I have discovered is that Although there's some great financial advisors out there who can provide you with personal insurance advice, health insurance doesn't fall under that umbrella. So there really aren't any insurance advi- financial advisors who can advise you on health insurance. So um, yeah, a government website like that one was the best choice for me. Yeah, and the thing is, I I think it's the only kind of area at the moment where like with a mortgage, right, we can go to a mortgage broker. Yep. 
as you said, with life insurance, you go to a financial advisor, they'll say, oh, hey, towel, they're suited for you, blah, blah, blah. Had to slip that in. <laughs> um, and then they can broker that for you. The problem I have with these online websites, like the iSelects of the world, is you might do a search, allegedly, maybe, and they might have something at the top of their list that's sponsored or they get a higher um, clip from or something like that. Right. It is a little bit Wild West. And then the problem with those websites are they're going to want to upsell you on bloody crappy life insurance. They're going to want to upsell you on uh, every other type of pet insurance. They're going to follow you around internet and all that stuff. So I think, Neil, the, the health insurance thing is just one of the things in Australia where you really need to be extra investigative, investigative or whatever. Vigilant. 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 Careful. Um, um, yeah. So, Don't yeah, that, that government website, it's interesting because it will, as you said, um, list all the providers in Australia, whereas some of the comparison websites, they might not list a provider who don't give a, uh, a cut. So, right. yep. <laughs> so, that's one thing you've got to look at. Now, my kind of comments on this for what it's worth, right? I actually think, and I'm happy to be wrong like with everything, like I'm not your private health insurance guru. I think to a point, most policies for your family will be around the same price. I think you're probably right. I can't quite remember the details. I've been with the same private insurance provider for a few years now, so mm. I can't remember what the comparison was like at the time. Yeah. So, so for me, I've got a Boopa policy and I've been with Boopa since 2001. Wow. Yeah, I'm old. <laughs> now, I found, you know, and every couple of years I come up for air and I'll review now, I don't go to the iSelects of the world and all that. But what I might do is go to NIB or what are the other bloody ones? I don't know. So, you go direct to a yes. health insurance company's yeah. website. Yeah. So, any health insurance, big companies that I've heard of, I'll just go and run the numbers. Now, for me, the like-for-like like vibe of it isn't compelling enough to save $50 a year to move insurers. But you've got dodgy knees and ankles. Would anybody else take a glance? Uh, that's right. Well, and this is the thing, right? When you move, uh, when you're a new entrant to a private health policy, you will have some month exclusion. So, you know, I can't sprain my ankle or break my ankle tomorrow on the soccer field and then, you know, get a private health policy tomorrow and go to surgery the next day. Like there's waiting periods to stop that time of activity. But what I want to say is, all insurance companies, time with the company is your friend. Now, I'm not saying you're staying with a company just because of that if you're blatantly paying a significant amount more for the like on like. But for me, with Boopa, because I've been there for so long, they've been really great when I've been to hospital like probably over 10 or 12 times with the policy. You know, It's been really great. There's been no major issues. I can't see the point with me moving to save 50 or $100 a year because I just want that loyalty thing in the background. So, if there is something that's a bit curly, right. some senior claims manager might look at the file and go, oh, how long have they been a client for? Oh, 20 years. Right. So, they've got your back. Yeah, let's... Oh, how long have they been a client for? Oh, they joined three months ago. Yeah, piss them off. Like, I mean, that's pretty wild and anecdotal, but I know it does happen 
with some curly cases with insurance companies and claims. That's one thing you don't get from the government website is that sense of customer service that they provide. You you won't get those kind of benchmarks or reviews or any kind of feedback. It's really just on the features and the price of the policy that you're able to to select. Um, I'm, I don't know, maybe there's two types of people who have health insurance. There are some people who have health issues and need to claim and get support frequently. I'm sure it's not by their choice. And then there's others like me. I'm just so fortunate. I've never been to hospital. I've never broken anything. I'm very, very lucky. Touch wood that mm. goes on like that. And for me, I'll, uh, hopefully I'll never find out what the customer service is like with um, my uh, health insurance company. It's called Health Partners. It's based in Adelaide. Hopefully I'll never get to experience what it's like to submit a claim to them. But for other people I know, it's much more frequent and uh, they probably wish they didn't have to claim. So what I'll probably do is suggest this. Go to your own Facebook or Instagram, everyone, and say, hey, guys, what private health insurance company are you with and why? And just get some anecdotal vibe. You might see a handful of companies mentioned. Then just take some time and run some manual quotes with each of the companies direct. And then, you know, make sure the excess is the same and all that. And I guess this conversation isn't more about how private health insurance works and do I need it or not. Um, I dedicated quite a few pages in the book uh, around this stuff because it's, you know, I, I remember writing the book like, you think superannuation is confusing, hold my beer. I'm That's about right. to talk about private health insurance. Um, or in the Facebook group, just search private health insurance or in the, um, the image section. And the same table that I put in the book is actually in the um, Facebook group. And it's a little matrix to go, do I need it or not? So I just think... I'm not a fan with these broker services online. Familiarize yourself with each individual insurance company's policy. I'll tell you one thing, Neil, that I don't like about Bupa, but I don't care enough to move. So I need, um, what do I do? I, I go to the dentist twice a year and I'll say loud and clear, I don't have private health insurance for the extras. I don't take extras either, you yeah. see? I mean, they're in my policy and I probably need to change it, but it's not that expensive overall. So I just whatever. And that's what I mean. I don't care enough to change. I've got private health insurance. So if I've got to go to hospital, I go to the specialist of my choice. I do all that. Yep. By the way, I don't have to pay the penalty uh, that the government sets for not having private health insurance. So the thing I don't like about Booper, and you'd be welcome to sponsor the podcast, Booper, if you want, because I'm your boy. They might say... You've got $250 a year for dental. The problem I don't like about Bupa, and I think HCF is the opposite, you could go to the dentist tomorrow and they'll say, oh, hi, Glenn, the dental bill today was $200. And they'll instantly take the $200 out of that $250 a year pool straight away. Right. Where Bupa say you've got $250 a year, but you can only scoop, I'm making a number up here, $30 each time. Yeah. So it, it's a bit of a con. Unless you go to see your dentist eight times a year. Exactly. So I think the same is with optical as well. So just check with the extra things. Like I don't want you to get in private health insurance just for the extras uh, because I think the tail's wagging the dog a little bit. Yeah. Um, but just check, you know, if you are paying for it and you think, well, I probably will use it a fair bit, you might find that a company that has extras that has the $250 allocation to massage or dentist will let you use that in one go rather than harvest it little bit by bit. 
I was in exactly the same position. I was working for a big company. They offered a corporate plan with one of the big health insurance providers. And I found that every time I went to the dentist, and the dentist says it's 180 bucks, I was like, oh, I've got health insurance. And the extras cover it. Well, no, the extras would cover 50 bucks, and I'd still be out of pocket 130. Mm. Like, well, why am I paying all this money for extras? And it's hardly covering any of my costs. So I dropped the extras when I became self-employed and um, started my own company. So we don't have that. And I'm quite happy to pay for a bit of Cairo or physio or, or dentist straight out of my pocket. Yeah, awesome. Hey, I'm going to ask a question uh, from Harley Fox. And thanks, Alyssa, for asking that question. And how old are you, may I ask, young man? I'm, it's my birthday next week, Glenn. So I'm going to be 48. No. Yeah, 48 next week. Yeah. Cool. Um, Harley Fox says, I've reached 40 years old with no investments and not much idea of how to secure my future. Housing is scary. Shares are unknown. What advice would you give to somebody that wasted their cash in their 20s and 30s, living their best life? So, so you know, Harley's rocked up. Got nothing. I'm being very loose here, Harley. Rocked up, became financially woke, found the My Millennial Money podcast. Crap. What do I do? Well, first of all, good on you, Harley, for being woke. Waking up and realizing you're 40 years old and you're starting afresh. You've got 20 odd years to go until you can think about retirement, maybe. so Probably 30, realistically. Right. Depending on um, the exact age. But we're all living longer. Right. I reckon we'll all be working to longer too, yeah. 70, so yeah. Um, the good news is that superannuation was put in place to protect everybody. So if you have been working for 20 years, you might have something tucked away in super. It might not be a lot of money, but uh, you've got at least 20 years ahead of you where you can earn some serious money and start to put yourself on the right track. So you've got to think about the two big ones I think you've mentioned, Harley, are where are you going to live and what are you going to invest in? And you don't really say whether, you say housing is scary. I'm not quite sure whether you've got your own home to live in, where you've got a mortgage or you own your own home or whether you're renting. Um, but that's a big consideration. And then what do you invest in? Well, think about what your super is invested in and you could follow the same path there. There's no, no need to be scared of it. You know, a balanced investment fund would, would look after you very well and you can choose to invest in that. So I guess I want to talk a little bit philosophical about Harley's question do you have any philosophical thoughts about the question here? Because you've talked about some practical things. Yeah, um, I, I think some people might look down their nose at somebody in a Harley situation and say, oh, you've wasted your last 20 years. You've wasted X number of dollars, thousands of dollars, living a good life. You know, those, are, those are good years and you've had a good time. There's no need to you know, scold yourself. You've got to get yourself in the right mindset, I think, not look back with regret look forward with anticipation and uh, look forward to your future. Maybe you've lived some, you know, retired years a little bit early. Maybe you had, uh, you know, a couple of years having a good time in your 20s and 30s and look at that as, you know, you're going to have to pay back the price for that later. But at least you did that when you were young and you had some great opportunities to take advantage of. So from a mindset point of view, I think it's really important to not beat yourself up and, mm. and to look forward. Yeah, and I'm big on this, um, you know, we're here now. Let's get on with it. And... I know, I know Victoria doesn't listen to this podcast, but um, Victoria, on she's on the money that day. I sometimes listen to a podcast just to see what they're doing over there. And, and Victoria, if someone sends you this to listen to, what up? Um, but, you know, and this is, the, this is the thing, right, with listening to a whole heap of different voices in the money world, right? Because no one's got it sorted. Like, right. And this is, I want to get more people 
uh, to guest host the podcast this year. Like, Neil, you're a listener, you're dialed in, you've got an opinion, you've got something we can learn from. Where to a point, Victoria was talking about someone's past and we need to do the autopsy on the past and value that for what it was and all that cool stuff. And this comes down to the personality play with different people and hosts where my personality is the past was the past, forget it. Sure, we're not going to, you know, if we gambled our life up the wall and we've recovered from that, well, we're going to keep away from the pokies going forward or making some big lessons. But I guess my whole thing is we're here now, don't worry about it, let's get on with it. So it's, it's just an interesting thing where I would encourage anyone listening to this to listen to any money podcast and glean the one percenters from each person that's speaking. Yeah, so um, Harley makes a point that um, housing is scary and shares are unknown. And I think education is a great place to start there. You know, learn about property investment, learn about investing in the share market. You don't need to make any investments. You know, life's not going to be radically different if you act now or in three months' time. But get yourself that education, become a little bit more familiar with the options, and make some decisions and then move forward. You don't need to rush into anything right now. The philosophical thing that I want to finish on is I don't think, and I kind of do this to talk about stuff. Harley says, I've reached 40 years old with no investments. I would just rather read this. I've got no investments and no idea how to skew my future. Housing is scary. Shares are unknown. What advice would you give to someone who's wasted their cash um, and how to achieve moving forward. Age has nothing to do with this. It's, we've got it in like the sound financial house that I teach. We've all come to this point of being financially woke. We've got to build our life, whether we're 18, 40 or 50, we've got to have some basic foundations. Got to get out and stay out of debt. You got to get an emergency fund. Got to get a budget and a spending plan. You've got an investment account already. As you said, you super fund. Call the super fund. Ask them how the super fund works. Start to get education. Harley, if you email my team, team at sortyourmoneyout.com, say, I'm Harley from episode 503. We'll make sure that your email name is Harley because a lot of you out there, you try and scam me and get free stuff and we're not dummies. uh, So we make sure people verify that they're not trying to hold one over Glennie over here. Um, Send that email. I'm going to send you a copy of my book, Sort Your Money Out and Get Invested. Because I've said many times, like when there's an 18-year-old, I wrote this book for you. I also wrote it for the Harleys who have got to a point and they don't know where to start, but they want to look forward to the future. So there's going to be a new podcast, everyone, called My Septuagenarian Money for the (laughs) 70-year-olds that are broke and broke. (laughs) Exactly. Babs says this, PZR, I don't know what you, I don't know how to pronounce your surname. This is, oh gosh, it's so philosophical, isn't it? How to overcome fight or flight response when dealing with money. Here's a hundred bucks. Run away, run away. Yeah, I'll be running to it. Um, It's a very strange question. It sounds like somebody who's just very unsure of themselves, not quite sure what to do. And again, it points back to that. Maybe you just need to start to get educated about budgeting and investing just so that you can deal with your emotions when presented with a spending opportunity or a saving opportunity and what to do with it. I reckon, and at the risk of eating all my own words that I've ever said, to ask a question like this, you may have had an experience around money that's caused you to be really scared 
and want to combat the system or be really scared and run from it. Yep. But again, we're here now. <laughs> so what can we learn? And I would say it all has to do with education. And I'm big on like this whole taking risks thing, right? So risk is a spectrum, isn't it? That's right. So at either end of the spectrum, you know, to have $20,000 in your bank account and not invest it for the next 15 or 20 years, that's quote unquote low risk, right? Except. Except. Inflation risk. It's actually not. It's actually a risk that your value of money will be eroded by inflation. How would you explain inflation to your nine-year-old? I'd say to my nine-year-old, guess how much a can of Coke cost when I was your age. Mm. It cost 50 pence, which today in Australia would be a dollar. So I grew up in the UK. So I'd say, you know, when I grew up, a can of Coke was a dollar. Today it's two fifty or three dollars, depending where you buy it. Uh, And that's because of a thing called inflation, where everybody wants to get paid a little bit more every year, and the prices of things go up a little bit every year in response. And some years it's more than others, and that's what inflation is. So at the moment today, that $20,000, it's going to buy me 200 rapid antigen tests, right? (laughs) With that 20 grand. But in 20 years' time, might only buy me three. (laughs) Well, it depends on the the demand for rapid antigen tests. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So... So there's a risk to do nothing, but there's also a risk to put $20,000 into Phantom, a cryptocurrency with no real track record that everyone's speculating on, right? So back to this risk, fight or flight. I'm just wondering, like, when would you trigger those fight or flight instincts around money? You know, if somebody's had a history of, of gambling, let's yeah. say, and, and they gambled away every paycheck they got. Yeah, right. I imagine every time they get paid and that money lands in their account, there is a temptation there that they have to have to resist and have to overcome. They have to look past the ghosts of their, their previous selves and uh, change their behavior. That, w- that would trigger a response for some people. Most of us feel overjoyed when we get paid every fortnight, but that might not be the same case for everybody. Mm. It just, everything goes back to, and I've said on this podcast, Neil, for many years, like I did a a lot of in-depth sessions with a psychologist in my mid to late 20s and really finding out who I am. And I'll I'll give you an example. This is not money related, but it kind of, it's loosely, we could swing it back around. My mind, if I get um, a response to something, and I will call it a trigger and a lot of you are going to go, don't use that word, but, you know, my, I can get triggered with a thought loop. And then what happens is my personality is to think, think, think and round and round in circles and get enraged and just go round and round and round and round and round. And I'm just like, I'm going to bloody go and oh, I'm going to light a forest on fire. I'm just so enraged. And I just go round and round and round and round and round because that's like my natural proclivity. So I spent all this time understanding that that's how Glenn James's mind works, where a similar situation, you might just go, oh, yeah, sweet, and move on. And I'll give you a real-life example. I stopped because we're recording this um, at Sanctuary Cove at the moment in Queensland, 
and I've invited Neil up to my room. <laughs> and It's not as sinister as it sounds. No. And so I stopped at a, a cafe on the way up, okay? And I totally get, like, rationally, I totally get it, but the irrational side of it, that's when your mind goes for a walk, right? Stopped at a cafe, had an awesome coffee, been in the car for four hours. I stopped, go to the anyway, lovely coffee. And I said, oh, before I was leaving, I said, oh, hey, um, can I please use the bathroom? Oh, no, we're not allowing uh, customers to use the bathroom because of COVID. And I'm like, oh, okay, no worries. Thanks. Anyway, and it just triggered me and it wrecked my experience. And because and she's like, and she was lovely, like, and I wasn't rude to her. This is the thing that's in my mind. And I said, yep, no worries. And she goes, oh, there's a service station down the road if you need a bathroom. And I'm just like, I go into this trigger loop round and round in my head. I'm like, you can't be, and this is what I'm saying to myself, you can't have a bloody cafe open and serve people in t- inside if you don't have access to amenities, whether it's in the um, body corporate area or, or your customers, just close or do takeaway only. Like, how can you do it? Like, the council should bloody come down and shut you down and... I'm driving on. I'm not stopping at a server to go to the toilet and just wreck the whole experience. And it triggered my mind. Wow, I do into- not want to read the Google review for this place. It's- yeah, no, yeah, Glenn James, <laughs> rage. Um, and I drove, I was driving along and it's so funny, this question and everyone out there, I know a lot of you can empathize with this and we can bring it back to that money and the gambling thing or whatever. But I was driving along thinking, huh, like I was laughing to myself and I called JP and the team and I, I vented with her and got it out of my system and I was fine and I'm driving along, you know, up to, um, I went, then went up to Byron Bay and stopped at the farm and got a coffee and some food and I'm like, I was literally so joyful that I had that um, almost lizard brain reaction but I knew what was happening so I could arrest those thoughts. I verbal dump to somebody and laugh because far out. I'm like, I reckon the Glenn of five years ago, oh, sorry, not five, I'm old now. Like the Glenn of 10 years ago probably would have stewed on that and it would have wrecked his afternoon. Yeah. I've had moments exactly like that, especially driving. Yeah. Somebody else's driving behavior. They're obviously in a bigger rush than I am and that triggers me and I have all sorts of thoughts about going to court and funding the police and explaining why his car got turned over and <laughs> there's this whole thing in my head, a whole story, a drama. Yeah. It's, it's all in my head and I can just laugh it off today. I'm yeah. a bit more older and wiser. Because and- I was driving out the driveway, I'm like, I need to go back and actually tell them <laughs> what I think. <laughs> so I, I honestly think it's, it's, it's not a money question, it's a human question and I would really encourage Babs to speak to a psychologist and just unpack how you react to things. Yep. Um, And it's not about controlling your emotions, it's about understanding them and knowing when you get triggered and what your normal responses are and what you'd like them to be and moving towards that. I'm just going to grab, I've got a book because I think this is really interesting. Hang on one sec. I'm back. So what I did, I bought this book how do I pronounce that? Ikigai? Ikigai, the Japanese secret to long and happy life. And I, I just purchased this and I'm reading it at the moment. We might put a link in the show notes for everyone. 
And the reason I just want to camp here is because often our money will do what it's told. And guess who tells it what to do? Glenn. Neil, <laughs> you listening. Like, yeah. so well, imagine this. Potential. If we as humans are living in chaos, our money's likely to be in chaos as well, right? Yeah, true. But if we really understand who we are and how we act in situations, I think there's a stronger case that our money will behave. So there's a thing in this book around... Um, I think the opposite's also true, Glenn. If you wanted to get your life into order, you could start with your money. And if you've got your money in order, then your relationships and the relationships with your kids and the, your house, everything in your, in your career could also follow and you could start with money. It doesn't have to be the other way around. Yeah. Yeah, I just think everything is so intertwined around money. So in the book... He talks about the 10 differences, or he or she, I don't know who wrote it actually, uh, talks about the 10 differences between psychoanalysis and logotherapy. I think that's how I pronounce it. Psychoanalysis, the patient reclines on a couch like a patient. Logotherapy, the patient sits facing the therapist who guides him or her without passing judgment. Uh, Psychoanalysis, it's introspective. It looks at the past. Logotherapy looks towards the future. Psychoanalysis is introspective and it analyses neuro, neurosis, neuroses. What do I? Neuroses, yeah. Neuroses. Logotherapy does not delve into the patient's neuroses, uh, the drive towards pleasure. Logotherapy, the drive towards purpose and meaning. I think I'm just getting at. I don't know why I got this book. So, do you um, know who invented logotherapy? Uh, yeah, it was the German guy. Victor Frankl, that's right. Yeah, yeah he was a, a detainee in a prisoner of war camp. Yeah, so they talk about him in this book. I don't know what I was getting at. I just think I'm getting at that we just need to understand who we are and that's probably more about this book, you know, not going, oh, Glenn, how did you feel and what did it... It's more like, oh, you react this way to situations and once you know, it's all good. So we'll, we'll move on. We'll take a quick break and we'll be back right after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Okay, people, we're back. And if you are a new listener to the show, welcome. Um, we hope that you are enjoying the bands. And following on from the newbies, uh, Tuesday we usually do a Q&A show where we answer a whole heap of type of questions, more or a beginner, intermediate, where the Thursday episodes, they are more deep dives into certain topics and we get a bit uh, deep and dirty. Uh, you can join the Facebook group and keep involved or follow us on Instagram. But uh, thanks for joining us if you are a new listener. Roster Clifford, do you want to answer this one? How to balance short, medium, and long-term investments currently at a position uh, either to add to super or to make other investments with rental properties or shares. So maybe just walk down your garden path, how you viewed the world. Yeah, so I, I try and keep those things quite separate to the extent that, for example, in my case, um, I love investing in shares. I don't have investments in property. That's just a personal choice. One is not better than the other. There's lots of people succeeding with property investment, looking after other people's property is not my thing. So I have stock market investments and I think about those in short, medium and long-term horizons. And to help me keep them separate, I'll actually open different brokerage accounts with different online brokers. So I know that that account over there, that's in a conservative fund because I might need the money in three or four years. And that's quite a short investment time horizon for investing in the stock market. So maybe go for a very balanced fund, you know, 50-50 bonds and, and stock market investments. And then I have a medium-term one where it's at least 10 years, and I might take on a bit more of an aggressive approach in there. And then a long-term one for me, that's just super at the moment. That's my, you know, I'm 48, so um, yeah, going to be accessing super. Not much long-term left for you, young man. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> and yeah, I just stuck my super up um, with my long-term investment. So I've got three different pots for three different time horizons, and I keep them quite separate. You could. I'm sure most people do if they if they wanted to have those kind of investments. You could all do it under one roof in one brokerage account. I find it really helpful for me just to keep them quite distinct. Yeah, that's funny. So literally, you what you're saying is, as an example, you might have a superhero account that has a Vanguard balanced ETF, which is 50-50. And then over in self-wealth, for example, yep. you've got your sex and violence for medium term and your super is your long-term pot. That's right. And I also, I, I think about my short-term savings the same way as well. I have a pot for a new car. I have a pot for renovating the house and I have a pot for taking the family on holiday. And they're all in one account because my, my mortgage provider, IND, doesn't offer different savings pots like some others do. Mm. Um, but I have a spreadsheet and I track the different amounts in each pot because I like to keep them distinct and, and know what's what's where. Yeah, that's fascinating. It's funny because I think property would be considered one of the long-term pots, right? Yeah, should and, be. And this is how basic uh, that you can make it in your own life. Um, so at the moment, say one of my investment properties, I think the rent's four seventy a week. One of the properties is, oh, I don't know, over 600 or something like that. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I can't afford to live in my own property. Um, but what you can do, like basically, let's do some basic maths, right? You could be like, when I quote unquote retire or want to stop working, I would like to live off $1,500 a week. Okay, 
there's three properties that gives $500 a week grant. Like you could f- break it up like that. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm doing. I'm just buying annuities today for the Glen of tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to do exactly the same thing. I know how much money I need so I can stop mm. work. And, you know, every, every three months I just tally it up to see how close we're getting. So, Ross, the answer to that question is do what you want. <laughs> just as long as it, um, it works for you. Um, and you are confident, hey, if you're not confident or you don't have the time or effort and all that, it's okay to pay an advisor to do that. Like we're both in online groups. There's one group in particular, what up? Uh, They all hate financial advisors and don't want to pay anything for anything, right? But it's okay if you see value in something and want to pay for it. You have to get a good advisor though, Glenn. That's right. Yeah, Yeah, true. Where would you find one? Uh, Sortyourmoneyout.com. Good start. There you go. Um, So... Outsource it if you want. And I was actually telling Neil over our lunch, we had lunch at uh, Boy, what was it? Uh, Bear Boy? Bear Boy Espresso, Helen's Vale, Helensville. Helensville, yes, right. I was telling Neil over lunch, like in the podcasting business that I run that has all the podcasts and all that stuff, I'm actually from January this month paying for an outsourced CFO service and I'll pay this person to come in, help me set budgets for the business, help me keep accountable because I want a little bit more external accountability for the business and I'm paying for that. You know, someone might go, I'm not paying that, I'll do it myself. Awesome, that's fine, but I want some external accountability and I'm happy to pay for that. So it's no different that if you did want to pay a couple of grand, three grand, four grand, whatever that price is in your world, to have an advisor in your life to help you not put your fingers in the pot and grab money to buy a new lounge or a new holiday, it's going to pay for itself. So we can't think that the world's black and white because it's bloody grey, particularly grey out there at the moment. Yeah, that's boring number in, folks. It's very Irish weather here in the Gold Coast. Yeah, so I know that's a rant, but let's just be real. Spend money on what you want and don't pay stuff, whether it's a financial advisor or a subscription to Paramount Plus that I had to just buy to watch Dexter, don't pay for crap if you don't get value out of it. Like, done. That's it, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, it's not much, much like, complicated than that. What's the problem? If someone wants to pay for a financial advisor and they're getting value out of it, well, shut your mouth. They're allowed to do that. I mean, it's a different story if they're getting blatantly ripped off and they don't know it. And that's why we do these things and have these discussions. Actually, Neil, I'm, I'm working on a podcast episode. It'll be along the lines of uh, the 10 reasons or the 10 ways or the 10 things. I don't even know the wording yet of 10 reasons or 10 things that you, when you don't need a financial advisor. Got it. Yep. So, or, you know, five reasons you don't need a mortgage broker. Like everything's all good, everyone. And we just need a little bit more chill. I've really adapting this thing in my life, particularly online and typing. And, you know, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say it at all. Like, there's a lot of hate and wildness out there, isn't there, at the moment? So I was uh, in one of the groups and there was a lady who was talking about budgeting for her family and saving money. And somebody else commented and she said, I have a childminder for my kids. I have somebody come in and mows the lawn. I have somebody come in and cleans the house twice a week. And I have somebody come in... Somebody else who comes in and does some meal prep and makes five meals and puts them in the freezer for the family. I'm like, wow, that's a lot of expense. 
what did allow her to do? She worked a few more hours, she maybe had a high paying job, worked a few more hours, covered all the costs of all those services and got to spend an extra four or five hours a week with her kids. Mm. So what's the problem? What's the problem? You can spend a little bit and save a lot or or earn a lot of time with her kids. So I'm probably guilty, Glenn, of of doing too much myself Mm. in my own life, in my business. And I need to get with the outsourcing program and get some more help. Yeah. Yeah. I'm taking that advice on board. Thank you. Yeah. And this is the whole thing. I just like, if you are new to My Millennial Money uh, and you're still literally listening to this and you're just so enraged and offended by what I'm saying, strap in, baby, it gets better. (laughs) Um, I will say like we we do this podcast and we survey people and you can listen to the census episode at the end of last year. Like it's the median income, I think, for our listeners is like 94 grand. I forget, but it's between 90 and 110 grand. I thought that was awesome given that the average age is quite young as well. That's so right. There's a lot of younger people who are in great, well-paying jobs. So congratulations if you're listening to M3 Money. Mm. Uh, you're doing well. Yeah. So anyway, Edgar Lopez, and you can speak to this one, Neil, ways to create multiple income streams of passive income. First question is anything actually passive? So I got a direct uh, bank transfer from VAS, Vanguard Australian Shares, yep. $184 yesterday. Oh, rich. Yeah. I got my... Uh, That's as yeah. passive as it gets. So I bought, you know, I've got a couple of thousand dollars in, invested in the VAS ETF. It's the top 200 companies in Australia and it pays out a dividend every three months. Dividends go up and down. But truly, that's the only passive income I can think of. I think property investment's a bit harder work than that. Yeah, I mean, I've got a, um, you know, a property manager and that enrages people. Why don't you just do it yourself? Well, you know, do what I want to back off. But like, I, yeah, I, I saw something the other day online. It's like, oh, I've got this passive side hustle and I do this and I'm like, not much passive about that. It sounds like you've just got a job. It's just like a side hustle, like... I think we need to just be real that um, passive income, it is a spectrum, you know. Let's, so, let's actually, let's walk down this spectrum because I like illustrating things. So, if I'm a bricklayer and I go to work each day, lay bricks for eight hours, yep. I get X amount of dollars for every hour or X amount of dollars for every meter of bricks I lay or whatever they use in that world. As soon as you stop laying bricks? The income stops. So, that's literally um, an active income. If I ain't working... I ain't earning. So that's 95% of my income today is IT consulting. It's based on an hour's worth of work. Now, the other side of that is I inherited a million dollars and I put it into a managed fund. And every year it spits out $60,000 without doing squat. That, my friends, uh, that's a passive income. That's about as passive as it gets. That's right. And then I think in the middle of this spectrum is, you know, yeah, I've got a, a, a real estate property i'm the eight like i don't have a property manager i manage it myself and it gives me five grand a year profit after rent and expenses and all that or tax that's come maybe in the middle and then either side of that is going to be more of our fringy side hustle things right so talk to us uh, and I, I to a point like the glenn james spending plan and my online course you know we do a fair bit of admin for that so it's not that passive. It's passive in a sense that Glenn James, I'm not picking up a microphone every week. Like this podcast, everyone's like, start a podcast, passive income. 
do a fair bit of freaking work to to do this. Um, but there is admin and stuff. Talk to us what you've done for your own, and maybe just step back for a minute, Neil. Tell people what you do and then what you've done. So, when I arrived in Australia, I worked for one of the big four audit firms in their management consulting division, running an IT consulting practice for them, helping customers with Microsoft software. That's something I'd done for 15, 20 years, picked up the same kind of gig in Australia, and that was great. And there were great opportunities, we'd worked on great projects. My next step up would have been to uh, become a partner in that firm, and I just didn't see that happening. It just wasn't going to happen. So in order to advance, I had to do something for myself. And... I set up my own business. Today, it's still IT consultancy, and that's where we derive most of our revenue. We've got a small team, but I also have an online course business, and it's not a passive income stream. Believe me, it's many, many hours of work answering student questions, marketing the course, improving the course, reshooting it, doing handouts. I support that with a podcast as well, so there's a lot of work in that, and I'm trying to develop another course, and it will get more passive over time as you get a stable of courses. But that's, it's not a passive income stream, but it is a great side hustle in that you can earn a lot of money if you have a successful course. And like anything else, there's probably a small percentage of courses that make a lot of money and a lot of people in the middle who have a course like mine that you know, makes a middling income. Mm. Um, so I think this is the whole thing. Like a, a passive income, you know, ways to create multiple streams of passive income. I, don't, I think if you're... Writing a book takes some effort. Yeah, then, the, it, then the royalties are. If you want to, if you want to earn money, don't write a book. Trust me. Um, if you want to build websites or manage websites, that looks like passive income. But there's a lot of work to set those up. If you want to have a store on Etsy or eBay, selling stuff or doing an FBA business on Amazon, there's a lot of work that, that goes into setting those things up and running them. Um, you want to drive on Uber? Uh, again, it's, you have to drive for an hour to earn an hour's worth of revenue. It's kind of funny, like I just, I really like really digging into these questions, like ways to create multiple streams of passive income. So firstly, the question is, are you wanting to create a passive income so you don't have to work? So for me, the question is, and it kind of gets a bit into that fiery thing or whatever. Okay, we fast forward tomorrow, Edgar, Edgar, sorry, and... Tomorrow, we turn around and you've inherited $2 million from a long-lost relative in, insert European country here or wherever. Oh, hey, Edgar, yeah, there's a trust set up for your benefit and now you've got this age. So starting tomorrow, you're getting 200 grand a year walk in the door. So you've got your passive income now. You don't have to work. Okay, what do you do? He's sitting on the lounge all day. Are you doing charity work? Like, what are you doing? Start a podcast, Edgar. Start a podcast. (laughs) So for me, this all goes to, can I challenge you to go change the question? How do I start to do something to move my life in a direction where I don't really care about chasing the dollars, but I get purpose for doing what I love. And by the way, I make some money. And by the way, I get food on the table. And that's that's the key there is purpose. I think yeah. you, you, know, you need to have a purpose and your work needs to help you fulfill that purpose or whatever you're doing needs to help you fulfill that purpose. And uh, yeah, if, without that, I think a lot of people lose the plot a little bit. Yeah, because I've shared on this podcast before, like I turned down a job uh, with my, per- like when I had my financial planning business in the middle of Sydney where I probably could have 
walked away, you know, as a 27, 28 year old, probably with five to 600 grand a year income. Like I actually turned it down. That's big money. It is like, but for me, it was like, yeah, I don't care that much about the money because I know I would hate it. Yeah, I don't want the stress. Yeah, I don't want the pressure. So we've got to do this thing where it's like, we don't want to do stuff just for the money. We need money to live. Yep. I don't know. I just find it. I've been in. I've been in well-paid jobs that I did not enjoy at all. Yeah. It's, it's tell you what, you feel trapped, especially if your lifestyle then becomes adjusted to that income. Yeah, and I you mean, hate it. Yeah. How do you? How do you go down? Yep. A lot of people just feel trapped and get depressed and have mm. really a hard time with, with that situation. So don't chase the money. Mm. Um, you know, I don't. I think passive income is really difficult to achieve. I'm a, uh, you've had Pat Flynn on the podcast. Yeah, I'm going to try and get him again yeah. this year. Yeah. He's got a, a business called Smart Passive Income, and it'll teach you a hundred ways to make money. And ninety nine of them are not passive. That's right. So I, I think be encouraged, Edgar. Um, start investing. Start moving towards your passion and your purpose. And I guess. To a point, in and a lot of this stuff, you know, if you're an employee and you love your job and awesome, I'm not saying quit and start a podcast, you've got to then go, okay, well, I love my job, but there is a chance that my income will cap out. So I just need to be hyper vigilant and hyper aware that I do need to make sure I am investing to really start that passive, like legitimate passive income. But if you're an employee and you're hating life at the moment and you want to do your own thing, well, clean up your personal debt first while you've got a good solid income, get a bit of a vibe of what you want to do. And then, so technically speaking, your business, right? You do IT stuff. You could legitimately set it up. So you get all these contracts, you install a, like, I'm... I'll use an example. You do all these contracts. You have a CEO that runs the team. You've got a team of 15 people. You're not active in the business anymore because you've set good systems and processes, but you're a shareholder. And you don't work in the business, but you get the profit for being the shareholder. Yeah. The only active side of it is a bit of your headspace to rock up to a board of directors meeting every three months. And then you get your dividends every year like... Which is kind of the same as just buying shares, right? It is, except you've had to yeah, earn it. You earn build it, the you company. Build company. Yeah. yeah so, right. I don't know. It's all, and you know, this whole fire thing. I love it because it gets people involved, but we've just got to remove a little bit of the dogma. And yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm happy to be wrong. I mean, if there is legitimate passive income. What's another way? Okay, here's the thing. Someone might say, oh, Glenn, I created a blog and there's passive income. Not if you have to write the blog articles. Or curate the pages yep. or... No, you can get them ghostwritten for you perhaps. But again, yeah, but you've like still got to be involved. That's right. Yeah. Yep. What's another example that we could just think about? Um, we're actually planning an episode and Rach and the team, what up, Rach? She's listening to this because she proof listens all the episodes. Um, we're plan- she wrote a thing in the, we've got a Slack channel called Episode Ideas. She's like, 50 side hustles. So we're going to try and yep. curate 50 different side hustles 
and do an episode about it. But you've got a point of view on side hustles and whether or not they're actually worth it, mm. when they're appropriate, mm. because people can get really burned out. I do mine because I love it, Yeah. but some people are just working three jobs in order to make ends meet, and a side hustle is not what they need. So Yeah, and I guess my, my shtick on that is you might have a side hustle that when you actually do an autopsy after the last three months of how much time I put into it, how much uh, mental energy I put into it, how much profit I took out of it, it could be like, oh, it was only $25 an hour and I should have just packed shelves at night at Woolworths. Right. But I will say that's fine in the short term, but if you see signs of life and you really fight up and you know that you could turn it up, and because that's what we did with this My Millennial Money podcast, right? We said, we're doing it for 12 months. Like the first 12 months, it didn't make no sense. I was bleeding cash, didn't have, make two cents but I just knew it so deep in my gut that I, if I really stick at this and I really go for their, go for it, I reckon we could give it a really good shake. And that's why we like, we're going to do it 12 months, hell or high water reviewing 12 months. Cause if it's not working after yep. that, that's when you enter the territory of what are you doing here? Like you're just wasting your time and your effort. So, yeah. Well, Neil, there's some other questions in the... Do you want to just read, give, give her the la, that last one a shout out? We didn't get to her question, but it was kind of the same as the other one. Yeah, so Casey Mawson said, I'm 40, an elder millennial, LOL, like myself, Casey, with two kids, and I'm busted with money. I need some help. I'm at the absolute rock bottom. I'm starting from the absolute bottom. Yeah, do the same thing, Casey. Uh, write in, give us your proof. I'll send you a copy of our book, um, and yeah, it's yeah. awesome. I mean, you know, I, and Casey's on a on a good wicket because she's listening to this podcast, and that's, that's it. That means she's starting to think about it. She's starting to take it seriously. And no matter where you're starting from, if you're getting yourself educated, getting motivated, and taking baby steps, then you'll you'll make it. Here's a little thought exercise for somebody like Casey or um, was it Harvey Harley, um, or any age that you're at where you think that I can't get ahead. I want you to write down in your phone or mentally or whatever, think about five or six of your close friends or family members that are the same age-ish. So I'll, I'll do it out loud and I'll give them a shout out. Um, Timmy M, we call him T-Bone. Dirty Mike, Tim's brother. I'm loving these names. Yeah, we've got light names. Candy, um, so he is a good friend of mine. Is that uh, a real name or is that his that's screen his nickname? Name. That's his nickname, Candy. Um, who else have we got? Uh, Nick, my friend Nick, who just moved to America. Um, they're kind of jai to a point. So they're just five friends, Eddie off the six off the top of my head, right? So I've got six friends. I pretty much know for a fact that every week those six friends aren't listening to money podcasts. Certainly don't listen to this crap because it's mine and I'm an idiot to my friends. They hear enough of your voice already. Exactly. So it's just as a challenge thing, like think of friends and people in your world, if you're discouraged, like, oh, I can't get ahead. Most of your friends aren't listening to money podcasts and aren't paying attention like you are. So have that as encouragement, right? Yeah. We've got an inside club here where we're encouraging everyone with their money and we know what we put our attention to, we get results in. 
So I had some interesting experiences over the Christmas break, spending more time with friends and family. Mm. Every now and again, when the vibe is right, and I've had a couple of beers, I'd bring up the topic of money with somebody I probably don't know very well. I've met at a party a few times, and I'd just have a chat about investments or what you do with your super. Or, and years ago, people would... Like the eyes would open up with alarm if you asked a yes, question like that. How dare you? We don't talk yeah. about money, especially in Britain. You don't talk about money. Mm. Come to Australia, and the vibe is opening up. More people are open to talking about it. Uh, maybe with a stranger, it helps rather than somebody you know very well. But it's great to see that people are considering their lifestyle, considering their budgeting, considering their investments more than ever before, and, and being open to talking about it. And I think shows like this one and the people who listen to it uh, are you know, really improving our lives. So thanks for what you do, Glenn. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm just doing it before we go, I'm just opening the Facebook group. Let's just see if we've got a question that's not on our planning list here. Something that's easy. Oh, gosh. You, all you people are so switched on and smart. You've got really great um, money problems. Uh, Taylor Scanlon. Hey, my millennial money friends. My highest debt on the debt snowball ladder. I'm not paying a minimum payment. I'm paying almost double the minimum payment to achieve paying it down faster. Plus, the lender has offered 0% interest because of the amount I'm paying. Mm, don't know. Question. Should I renew this payment to a minimum repayment and use the extra money to tackle the smallest debts on the snowball or keep the amount? I would still do the minimum. I mean, it's hard to know because we don't know what sizes all the debts are, but don't... This is the thing. If it's going to take you 10 minutes to clean up your debt, you do you, Taylor. That's awesome. But if it's a three or four year campaign... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we've got to make sure that you can pay some debts off and keep the wins. That's right. So, so, you know, the debt snowball is a psychological trick That's to, it. to see you making progress month over month over month. So you knock the smallest debts out first. Like, ah, oh, yes, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'll come up for air. I'll go out for dinner and celebrate. All right, we're going back in, baby, and we're doing the next biggest debt. All right. So, but if your biggest debt has got some special arrangement where you can double the minimum payment and get a 0% interest so it doesn't get any bigger... Well, you do you. If that works, works for you, there's no, you know, M3 police going to come to your house and kick your door in and tell you you're doing the wrong thing. No, there is now. It's, oh, yeah, we got some. New service? <laughs> no, but I, and this is this whole thing, right? We can just talk about best practices from what we know from other people. And this is what I said. Like, if, it, if you get your spreadsheet, line up all your debts, line up all your minimum repayments, and you're like, look, these debts... If I smash this out, I don't save anymore. I can have them gone in eight months. Sweet, do that. Keep your zero thing. But if you go, oh, I've got a $20,000 personal loan and then a this and that, I just would not be getting cute with trying to outsmart the system. Right. It's a proven practice for a reason, yeah? That's right. And the whole thing is you can't get cute and smart with interest rates thinking you can outgame the system because if you were cute and smart to start with, you wouldn't have got the debt that was paying interest anyway. So we know that behavior got you into debt and behavior will get you out. If you change it, there's a lot of very cute and smart people working for credit card companies and and loan sharks. Exactly. They're always trying to find ways to to keep you in there. Yeah, so great question. We'll leave it there. Remember, you can listen to Neil's story on episode 445B of the 
my Millennial Money podcast. He's the Lego man in the Facebook group who uh, drops in, has a bit of a, a chat, and he came to the Brisbane show when we were on tour last year. Going to do that again? Yeah, we're actually planning the tour. Great. At, at the moment. So, this is the whole thing. We'll do the national tour again, but we've got to get some national sponsors yep. because it's just so expensive to do um, tours. So, my vibe is I want to you know, back to that thing, like you get results with what you focus on. We're really going to focus. We've started planning the tour already. Uh, We want to do Brisbane and the Gold Coast. We want to do Sydney and Newcastle. Uh, We want to try and get to Auckland. Wow. I don't, yeah, I don't know if we can get to Darwin again, just because looking at the data from our listeners, because in the background who hosts our podcast it tells us like where all the IP addresses are, like capital cities and all that. So we are tracking you. Um, Do you ask that question in the census? No, I don't know because we can get location data from the RSS feed. So we just have a very small audience in Darwin, smaller than well, Hobart. It's going to be t-shirts with tour dates down the back. And oh, all that yeah. stuff. Um, so yeah, we are planning the national tour. Uh, we're going to do it again. I am... And I will be telling my team tomorrow before this goes live because I don't like telling my team stuff publicly because <laughs> it's it's not good for culture. <laughs> um, I want to try, and I haven't even talked with John or Emily yet. I want to try and do in the capital cities. And again, it, this comes down to economics, right? So I'll use uh, Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne and Perth probably. I want to do the night before the tour a property masterclass. Right. And I'm going to talk to John and Emily and be like, hey, do you guys want to do a masterclass? We, and we'll do, we'll sell a ticket. You can do an investor masterclass with John. And in the other room, you can do a first home buyer masterclass with Emily. Perfect. Now, and then, so this is why we're planning this early, not the month before, because we really want to come and add value. You know, as I'm not doing a masterclass because yeah, I don't like yeah. working. <laughs> <laughs> I've got nothing to add. Um, and then what we will do, um, you can come while we're in town, you can do just the in property investor masterclass. It's not going to be a $50 ticket. It will be a meaty ticket. Like I don't know the price yet, so I won't say. Um, so you'll have total buy-in. There might only be- As long tw- as you don't have to get a mortgage for yeah, the that's ticket. R- that's right. It's not a $5,000 package and all that stuff. Like it's, It'll be very reasonable. Like Because this is the whole thing. If you're serious about buying a five or six hundred thousand dollar investment property, how can you be not serious about spending four hundred dollars to get some actual education? Yeah, about absolutely. It? So, it, and there you go. It might be three hundred ninety nine. Again, I don't know because I haven't priced up anything. I'm just literally my team do not do not even know about this at the moment, right? Why did you tell the Lego man before you told us? Yeah, that's right. So, and then this is what I'm planning. So you can you can come and do a first home buyer masterclass or an investor masterclass for property on the night before, and then the next night you can buy the ticket to the main show, or you know we might sell a ticket. So if you do the masterclass, you get a discount on the night after, or you can just buy the big live show or the masterclass only. So we just want to add value. Um, and John and Emily, they're really good teachers. I don't think I'm the best teacher. I don't know. I'm I like being more of a facilitator. Uh, in this day and age, but... Um, you mean organising the bar and... and yeah, 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 that's right. So, so all our events, like we had a bit of a meeting this week about like, you know, we had food and 
piss at the events. We still want to do that. We want to feed you and drink you. Um, so, yeah, glad you asked about the yeah. tour. So I probably get shot for um, leaking all this, but whatever. We've got, you know, I, this whole My Millennial Money thing, right? I'm just the facilitator of the community and I want to take everyone on the journey. And the thing I've learned is we'll just make sure you give the team a heads up before stuff goes public. So good plan. Before this goes up on the Tuesday morning, the team will be well aware of what I'm talking about right now. So, well, we've had a big chat, Neil. Yeah. So I hope um, I hope people enjoy the show. I've got yeah. quite some great feedback from the episode we did last time. I really, that was really heartwarming. Uh, yeah, the feedback on that. So thanks very much for people who listened to that one, and uh, thanks, Len, for having me back. No worries, and we'll get you to host my millennial. Gen Xer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the millennial piece is gonna have to we're gonna have to work on that. Yeah. All right, peeps. We'll actually we need to talk when I press stop. So we'll uh, <laughs> we'll see everyone soon. Thanks for listening, guys. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.